welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who came, saw, and saw it again. Until they ran out of wood. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 369 for March 27th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about keeping a tabletop flat, small dados, and clamping squares. Who needs them? That's, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be that exciting. I just wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to just jazz it up a little bit so it's a more exciting topic for you there. I put those exclamation marks in there for you. Yeah. Who needs them? All right. And uh, we want to thank some folks who helped us out uh, over at Patreon and also through a PayPal donation. Uh, Robert DeVries. And really, thank you so much, Robert. We appreciate it. He gave us a very generous donation. Uh, here's a few other people. Todd King, Robert Marino, Ethan Parker, Dan Hefgott, Tim Whitcomb, By- Byron, Byron Younts, Tom Odell, Mike Wittenauer, Bob Zimmerman, Ryan Sloan, Matt Foringer, Craig Rowe, Ryan Ewing, (laughs) question mark, question mark, question mark, Charles Wartzball, and Nan Kervitz. Man, I'm sorry, folks. I do the best I can, but it is what it is. Wow. Is that that really the best you can do? Um, That's painful. It's the best I can do at that speed. If I slowed down and actually tried to go slow, it might be a little bit better. But it, it's not going to get a whole lot better. <laughs> it kind of uh, is what it is. It's, it's just like, a, I don't know, it reminds me of the movie Spies Like Us. Yeah. <clears throat> Greenbaumberg, Sharon Berg. Hey, look, it, my wife is would be like 100% worse at that. Nicole is the, the queen of thinking she knows how something is pronounced and being very confident about it, and she's totally wrong. Puts in letters that don't exist, and see, she sees words that actually aren't there. So oh, that's awesome. I'm just going to throw my wife under the bus uh, while we're here. <laughs> so if you want to help it's out. Just and, another show. It is. That it is. And uh, you want to have your name butchered by me, I'm more than happy to do it for you. Uh, go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, and that's where you find out all the little benefits you get, little kickbacks you get for helping us out on a monthly basis. We uh, truly appreciate the support. And just a quick mention, next week's show is an anniversary show, and technically April 1st, which is very appropriate for this show, is our anniversary. And this will be our 10-year anniversary. So, uh, you know, we don't really have the time to just orchestrate this whole big to-do thing, but I thought it might be fun to do some kind of a call-in show. So when we do our live show next week, and usually it's around 4 p.m. Eastern, certainly not the most convenient time, but I know a lot of you slack off at work, so give us a call. <laughs> so uh, if you want to be there, we'll, we'll try to put up a very firm time and make sure we announce it so that anyone who's interested in being here live and, and listening to the show can call in, say what's going on, say hello, Tell us, uh, you know, 10 years is enough. It's time to throw in the towel. You know, whatever, whatever your opinion is. Um, so does that sound good to you guys? Just a call-in show? Something simple? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the theme, since it's the 10th anniversary, that's the aluminum or 10 anniversary. So okay. 10, T-I-N, not T-E-N. Okay. So if, if you have questions about aluminum or 10, don't. Don't call. call? It. It's, it's wood talk, people. It's wood talk. Please don't call because uh, we're not going to be able to answer them. Only only anodized, anodized aluminum yeah. can we talk about. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. It's not tin talk or aluminum talk Ooh, or tin aluminum talk. chat, as they say across the pond. Aluminum. All right. So let's get into what's on the bench. And this was a, this is a very uncharacteristic week for me. I I am very much a monotasker type person. Like I want to focus on one project. I want to get that project done and then move on to the next project. But because I started a finishing test and I'm waiting for finishes to cure. I was sitting around going, okay, well, I know the guild project's coming up. Let me start designing that chair. So I did. I started to design the chair and got to a point where I was, you know, at a stopping point. And then uh, Nicole put on the pressure about refinishing the outdoor table, which I did mention last week, but it's taken a long time because rain, 
right? And uh, I actually, after <laughs> I sand, yeah, after I sanded the damn thing, uh, I left it outside, and it was under a over like an overhead dealy on the back patio. But the like sideways rain came in and got to it, so I had to drag everything in the house. Uh, and then trying to think the other thing that I'm working on. Oh, I came up with this brilliant idea uh, the other day as I'm um, realizing how much my son loves that. Um, what is it called? Mohana uh, cartoon movie that just came out. So it's like a Hawaiian themed uh, movie. And the, one of the main characters is Maui, who's a, a demigod. And he actually has this giant fish hook, uh, like a the classic, I guess it's like a Polynesian uh, fish hook thing. That's part of his whole deal. And my son is like in love with this movie. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just crank one of those out. Right. What, what can it possibly take me like a couple of days? <laughs> So this thing is turning, it's turning into a thing. Like I, I, famous I, last words, right? Yeah. How long could it possibly take me? So I, I'm like, if I'm doing this, I may as well go all out with it. Right. And so now it, yes, it's made from two by fours, but meanwhile, it's getting the treatment. Like the power carving tools are out. Um, I'm at the point where I'm going to have to start taking some of the, the Polynesian artwork that adorns this thing uh, and making sure that that's uh, on it properly. And then I will most likely burn in those shapes to, to kind of really give it a nice punch and effect. And it's just this miniature sized giant hook that really in the end of the day, I'm giving my son something that he's going to use to destroy my house. Nice. So like, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's for my way. My way definitely went there. Yeah. And, and so anyway, my, my going back to what I said in the beginning, what's uncharacteristic about this is I just never have like four things going on at once. And it's, it's kind of crazy because I'm so afraid I'm going to lose an SD card full of footage because I'm trying to keep track of multiple projects at the same time. Uh, and, and I also picked a bad time to switch to recording in 4k because now I'm running out of room every five minutes. So a little inside baseball problem, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's an adjustment. So yeah. So a lot of, a lot of things going on guys. Um, I, yeah, that's all I'm going to say too much to talk about. <laughs> frankly, I'm trying to remember there was a guy that made like a giant <clears throat> hook. Yeah. Cause you write that. I don't remember. I think there's a name for it. Um, some Hawaiian name for it, but it is a very, you know, common Polynesian symbol. Mm hmm. And man, I want to say he was like a Russian guy. It was one of those just like out of left field, like maker type YouTube videos where like the guy has a tool and like oh, just really? does amazing stuff with that single tool. But this thing is like, it's like nine feet long. I mm -hmm. wish I could remember. I don't even know what to Google to find that. Well, there was a guy who made sweet. one whose, whose video went viral <laughs> and uh, it's Bobby Duke. And actually I went to his Facebook page and it says pronounced Duque. And I don't know if that's for real or if that's a joke. <laughs> and I don't mean I don't mean to make fun of the guy, but I'm just I would like to pronounce his name properly. Uh, but his video went viral. He's got like over two million views on this thing, and uh, he made it not too long ago. Same same deal. Made it with two by fours, but he went for like a life size. If you actually had a real like guy as big as the, the guy in the cartoon <laughs> to hold this thing. It, it, and it is massive. So it might be the same one you're talking about. Um, it could be, yeah. Shannon, but he's not Russian, at least not to my knowledge. Yeah, I'm sure I'm mixing it up with another. And you know what? That was a guy that made a lamp. It was okay. Russian or so Ukrainian or something. It, it was really good. I mean, a really good job. But what I'm actually trying to do here is make something that a kid would actually want to play with, not, right. not an adult. <laughs> so, um, and by much, the way, it's the, the Macau Nui. It's the, named after the constellation Kamakaui Nui Omaui, which is the big hook of Maui, also Scorpio. Right. 
So it's the Scorpio constellation as we know it, but they call it the Big Hook of Maui. Yeah, I was going to say all that. So uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for saving me the trouble. I don't know if I just butchered the uh, the Hawaiian there, but I tried. It all sounded good. Sounded to me. pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing: when you're making something like this, that a lot of people don't really think about, it, and I don't really know how I can do this without I don't know stepping on anyone's toes, but this is a symbol that means something to a culture and you got to be yeah. careful. Like, you know, I, I don't want to make a joke of it. I mean, I'm making something for my son. He has an appreciation for it from this, this movie. Um, but I don't want to be goofy about it in a sense. I don't want to disrespect any, uh, cultural significance that may, you know, cause it isn't my culture. So I want to be really careful <laughs> with what I do with this thing to, to not be, I don't know, just to be respectful to, to something that clearly means something to another culture. Um, but it's fun. It's fun and a lot of work and so much more work than I anticipated. So uh, speaking of doing extra work, Matt, what's going on? So the most notable thing that I did last week that we could talk about today was I quarter a log for the first time. Sweet. And it reminded me why I never had any interest in quarter sawing lumber to begin <laughs> with. Because <laughs> it's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of flipping. Flipping oh. boards and stuff. So now you're going to charge at least six dollars a board a foot for that stuff, right? I don't think I don't. <laughs> I honestly don't think you could sell that stuff to like make money doing it if yeah. you were like on a manual mill like I have. Mm-hmm. Like the only reason I did it is for the video, to like show how it's possible. Yeah. But like, it took me two hours to quarter saw this log, and normally like the plane saw something like that, it only take maybe like a half hour or something like that. And it's all moving these giant chunks of quarter trees around. Did Mark just get donuts? No, no, no. no. So. Better than donuts. This is a muffin delivery from my favorite muffin. <laughs> oh, you have, a pet, you have a pet name for Nicole? She your little muffin? She is my little muffin. <laughs> she's, my, she's my favorite muffin. Thank you, she just outdid Lindsay, I think, I Matt. I think so. I don't want, I don't want a Boston cream muffin at 2.18 in the afternoon. <laughs> That'll ruin my dinner. Thank you, though. Oh. So sorry about that. About this. She's got the one up. <laughs> yeah, the she's, now. she's gonna have to bring two dozen donuts and some like little munchkins. Yeah, well, I have a dog <laughs> farting in my room. So well, that certainly is appetizing. Jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Someone goes uh, hashtag stalker Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so where were we? You don't like cutting uh, quarter sawn lumber. Well, I don't, and also like. <laughs> I just well don't. Said. I well said. Very articulate. Well, I don't. <laughs> okay. Educate I'll say, I'll say I don't. I, <laughs> when I'm cutting stuff for myself, like when I'm like making stuff for myself, I don't use cortisone lumber. Or like I don't use like straight up all cortisone lumber to make up like a panel or to make a whole project. Mm-hmm. If I need cortisone lumber, I'll take it out of the center slab of a board. That came out of that log, which has chorus on both sides of the pith, which is enough chorus on lumber for me. So I never needed to quarter saw, actually quarter saw a log. And I'll say this, this might upset some people, but when I see people quarter saw these big logs, I think, what a travesty. Those big wide boards are gone. Yeah, I agree. I actually <laughs> think the majority of the quarter saw lumber that we buy, with the exception of like the quartered species, like white oak. And to a lesser extent, red oak, it's mostly white oak that's sold commercially. And, you know, Sapili from the exotics, most of the quartered lumber we buy is done the way you're talking about, Matt. They're not flipping the log. They're just, you know, through sawing, plain sawing, and then 
ripping out quartered boards mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's like you don't go and you buy quarter sawn cherry. You just find quarter sawn cherry in the stack of cherry. You know, it's yeah, I don't think there's a lot of mills doing that because it's you're right. It sucks. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a ton of work. And like I'm lucky in the fact that I have the cut width on my bed to like cut all four quarters of the log at once instead of cutting one quarter up into the quarter saw lumber, cut the next quarter of the log up into the quarter saw lumber, the next one, and then the next one. Or what I'm doing, I have them all stacked there on the bed, and I can mm-hmm. cut them all at once. Mm-hmm. So it saves some time, but like I'm still moving those. You still got to flip that thing every single time, and that's just one method of quarter saw. There's a few different ways to do it, and the one the way that I did it where I you you keep flipping that quarter around, it produces the most lumber, but it produces the least amount of actual quarter sawn lumber. You have higher yield of quarter sawn lumber with higher waste and other methods, but you know you get end up with all these like weird. What are you gonna do with these like tapered board things? Yeah, they're firewood. Jeez, you know? it's crazy. Oh, what is that noise? Uh, school bus. Oh wow, nice. That was very loud. <laughs> we know they're coming. Sorry. Sorry, the windows are open. Coming, coming to pick there, up was, there was major dog farting in here. We needed needed some, <laughs> needed some fresh open air. windows. Yeah, understand? That's okay. I forget. Um, Shannon, what do you got going on? Uh, well, I, I haven't been in my shop much lately because I went out of town. I went to a marketing conference in San Diego, and you know, figured while I was there, I had the uh, I guess the first official hand tool school meetup for the Southern California members. And nice, did both awesome. of them show up? All yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had about 16 people. Nice. Maybe. Yeah, it was pretty wow. sweet. Yeah, cool. I, I, who knew? Who knew? There are people live in California. That's crazy. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, just uh, <clears throat> anytime you get to, you know, face to face with people. But um, well, first, I got to say, uh, you know, thank you to Craig for being my own personal Uber driver. Although, um, you know, it's going to be Uber. I expect some sexual harassment to go with it. <laughs> If you don't know what that is, just Google Uber. You'll find it in the news. Um, uh, huge thanks to Martin who hosted us. Anybody who's willing to open a shop up to a bunch of people he's never met, you know, that takes some guts. But um, we just had a, a bunch of great folks show up. We went and, you know, checked out this local restaurant called the Crack Shack, which, you know, that in and of itself sounds intriguing. You know, where are you going? I'm going to the Crack Shack. <laughs> means something very different in Baltimore than it does in San Diego, apparently. <laughs> Depends um, on what part of San Diego you're talking about. <laughs> that's true. It's true. But um, this was, uh, it was just really sweet because Martin's in the process of restoring like this Mediterranean villa thing. I keep telling him he needs to watch the money pit because this, the house looks surprisingly similar. Um <laughs> <laughs> and with the amount of construction he's doing. But, you know, we got to see like 1920s woodwork on the inside. Um, so it was just this really cool experience to go and and see like a prohibition era building and like the various little twists and turns and like not really secret passages, but maybe, maybe they were, I don't know, <laughs> but just incredible woodwork. And um, for me, I mean, it's been probably 15 years since I've been on the West Coast, just seeing the different woods that they use that was just kind of what they had around so uh, that was pretty cool. And Martin has a Sauer and Steiner hand plane. So he's like, Ooh. you know, we're like, he's also one of the guys that participated in that French oak Roubaix project. So he's got that like beast of a French oak, you know, monster <laughs> over in the corner. And we're all standing around like drooling and ooing and eyeing on it. And he pulls out this little five inch long Sauer and Steiner, you know, infill hand plane. He's like, check this out. And yeah, let's just say, you know, as I was sitting in Phoenix, 
um, trying to like drop the Spagnolo name and get preferential treatment. It didn't work. <laughs> um, I'm like researching the Canadian exchange rate going, Hmm, how can I justify a Sauer and Steiner plane? Yeah. <laughs> like I played with them before, like woodwork in America, but it was always like, you know, you know, a couple of passes. Oh, cool. That that's awesome. Conrad. But this was like, you know, we played some cherry and then playing some white Oak and then playing cherry going totally against the grain and playing white Oak going totally against the grain. It just, you, you just can't describe like the, the amazing feel that you get off this plane. And it, it is in reference to a couple episodes ago, totally unnecessary, like, <laughs> a little bit overkill, ridiculous. Yeah. But at the same time, the exchange rate's pretty good. I could get one for like <laughs> 1500 bucks instead of, you know, 2100 bucks. Uh, that's so, a straight up bargain right there. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was a, a very, um, it was a bad time to be suddenly have a bunch of time on my hands waiting for connecting flights yeah. going, hmm, let me look at this. It could be dangerous. It's like, yeah, I could probably make that work if I don't eat next month. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but still, it was one of those things where you can, you know, you never truly understand the magic of like the infill plane until you actually get to use one. And then like, you just don't care the grain direction anymore. It just doesn't matter. It was just, it was a transformative experience. Nice. Hey, I'm going to interrupt Please. the show for a minute. Can you guys just continue on with the show notes? My dog got out and I need to go find her. <laughs> okay. Walk. So uh, continue on. I'll be back. Have fun with Maybe. that. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is he says that and technically in the show notes, the next thing he spoke. I know. <laughs> but, you know, we can handle it. Uh, Mark was on the Crafted Podcast. He actually mentioned that, I think, briefly last week. But uh, it's uh, episode number 21, Balancing Work Lives and Personal Lives. Uh, have you listened to it yet, Matt? I haven't uh, gotten no. that far. I in haven't my... listened to much of anything recently. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I was just on an airplane and like I didn't listen to anything. It's, it's awful. But yeah, probably should have listened to something. Probably. Instead of looking at Sauer and Steiner website it's, it's they have wi-fi on planes now so of course you could do that but yeah it's bad news <laughs> anyway so yeah check that out crafted podcast we've mentioned them before but now mark's on it it's 31 percent worse <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> so i was also a guest on a podcast this one's called the green woodworker podcast it's a new podcast started by my friend donnie we talked nice. about uh well i just got more like an interview kind of stylist talking about how to stay motivated and kind of like behind the scenes of what I do and stuff like that. Um, it was so, the first episode. Okay. I was going to say, is this like, the, I've never heard of this podcast before. It was literally so, the first episode. Well, it was the second episode. The first episode was like the intro, what, what the show is right. about. And then, right. The, the, the prima, the, the intro episode that everyone says you're supposed to do in like podcasting books <laughs> and podcasting sites that, you know, now maybe has gotten a little bit tired because <laughs> everyone tells you you're supposed to do it. So wait, is this like green woodworker as in I'm new to this or green as in I work with green wood? Well, he also talks about that. That's mostly from the like I'm new to this thing, but he does a lot of um, uh, green turning, like okay. bowl turning as well. So oh, I think so that might play into there as well. Era. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nice. We have lots of those on this show. Yes, we do. Fits <laughs> right in. Nice. I'm going to check that out. You get that one as you like over your head. And I got it. Thank you. Was okay, good. All right. Trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to be professional here. Wait, what? anyway, uh, next, uh, Paul sent this in. Um, this is for all the people that say, 
well, you know, if you really want to be a purist, you could do it this way. And then somebody comes in and says, well, if you really want to be a purist, you know, you know, a, a, a hand plane is just a, a chisel held in a jig. Well, you know, if you really want to do it, you could use a stone. Well, this guy, I had, I was not familiar with this channel, but I have now subscribed. It's like primitive, primitive technology, I think is the name of the channel. Yeah. Primitive technology. And he makes a stone ax. And like, if you look through his videos, He's like making a bow and arrow and making a sling and like, yeah, this guy's legit and going out into the forest and, you know, being all caveman like. So, yeah, he makes a stone axe and grabs a stone literally and sharpens it on a stone thing. Here's a stone laying on the ground. Right. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a perfectly square, you know, water stone with a perfectly friable mix of, you know, 11 herbs and spices. This was literally a rock on the ground and he sharpens his axe and then cuts down trees with it. Very cool. You need that, Matt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. How did you know? <laughs> exactly what I was looking for to, to counterbalance the bands on them. <laughs> All right. Well, that was what's new. Uh, kickback. Um, this is where people don't like us. Um, this is actually, this is really good kickback. This is from John and he's referring to my replacing the doorknobs in my house. He said, I went through the same process you did, replacing the knobs, and the new dar knobs had a larger bolt diameter than the old ones. The first knob I installed, I spent a half hour with a chisel trying to enlarge the opening. It was a mess, so I had to come up with another solution. This is where power tool type thinking really helped. Just make a jig. I don't know if that's supposed to be a shot or what. (laughs) I like it. Uh, I he says I had inset latch plates, so I cut a block of wood the size of a latch plate so it would fit tightly. Then I glued a larger piece of quarter inch plywood to the front so the thin side walls would not split out. This made a tenon that I could slip into the mortise of of the latch plate and hold everything in place. I then drilled the hole through the jig where the door bolt should go using a Forstner bit. I believe I needed a one inch bolt hole to install the new knob. I pushed the jig into the existing latch plate mortise and used the Forstner bit to enlarge the bolt hole. The jig holds the bit in place so it doesn't wander and you can quickly enlarge the bolt hole. The good news is that the size of the new hole does not need to exactly match the bolt hole if you have a mortised latch plate, um, which I don't. <laughs> I have <laughs> bolts. You think Coast would say, if you have hammer and bolts, you could use a similar procedure, but you should have to modify the jig to slip over the thickness of the door. Thanks for the great show. It's hands down my favorite podcast, which... Um, Interestingly enough, they make this jig. Like if you go to Home Depot and buy like a door knob um, or especially if like you're not buying a door that's already pre-drilled, you have to do it yourself. It will mm-hmm. actually um, align the holes on the 90 degree plane so you can drill the the hole through the door for the actual knob and mechanism and then the whole 90 degrees to that. It's basically the same principle, but I love the fact that, you know, he just like grabbed a block, stuck it in the latch plate, slapped another block. on it. That's my kind of jig making right there. You know, glue board to other board, drill hole through, done. You know, so yeah, that's a good move. I I probably will need to do something similar to that because, yeah, now that we've got that one knob done, there's many more, many, many more. So uh, thank you, John. I appreciate that. Matt, you're going to have to fill in for Mark on this next one. Yeah, it's not going to be as funny because it's about me. Oh, you know, that's true. <sighs> I suppose I could read it. Oh, <sighs> people don't want to hear me talk all the time. I do enough of that. All right, fine. <laughs> This comes from Mike. Well, the next thing is going to be voicemail, so you better get back here pretty quick. <laughs> a couple episodes back, you asked the listeners. I lo- he actually capitalizes that. The listeners. <laughs> Makes it <laughs> up a lot more. 
<laughs> you asked the listeners awesome. to send in criticism from Matt and his song. Do you remember this? Did we solicit criticism? Did I do that at like the end or I something? Think, I think Mark might have tried to make fun of me or something. Must have been. Anyway, he says, here you go. This is to you, Matt. You, yes. sir, are not a true woodworker. What are you thinking? Making machine to mill lumber run by a motor? If you were a real word worker, you would tear off the motor and spin the wheel with your bare hands. Or better yet, look to your co-hosts, true woodworkers both. You should follow Shannon's example. Put the behemoth on Craigslist, buy a shovel <laughs> in your backyard, and rip your lumber by hand. Or do what Mark would do, buy a Powermatic sawmill, the gold standard of sawmills. Have it painted with flames. At least you could have it built with a wood-burning welder. What? You could have built it with a wood burning. Oh, I get it. Okay, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anybody ever done that? Is there such a thing as a wood burning welder? That just sounds really silly. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Very nice. All right. Well, apparently Mark is not able to find his dog, which is really sad. I hope he finds his dog. So, you know. Sorry, folks. We're just going to have to skip a voicemail at this point. We may do it later. You never know. See, this is the thing. Mark likes to keep himself relevant. Like, he doesn't share the voicemail files with us. <laughs> we don't even know what the voicemails are going to be. Something about thank you. That's about all, yeah, I, that's all we know. Voicemail thank you. That's all we know. So, thank you, voicemailers. We appreciate you. Uh, oh, and then next is Lumber News, and we don't get the fun jingle, because, again, Mark won't share the jingles. So, anyway. Um, Matt, if you could track as a saw as a sawmiller, as a sawmiller, <laughs> if you could track every single board you saw on all the way back to the stump, which probably maybe in some cases you could, you know, like where you part where you grab the logs, like like the communal logs, you don't necessarily know where that stump is, but a lot of times you might actually know. If you could trace every single board you have back to a stump. Would you feel good about yourself from a sustainable and environmental perspective? Would that would that be good for you? Um, I, yeah, I guess so. But to your point, though, I already kind of know that for yeah. almost everything that I cut. That's good. So you know, like you know, this fell. This was felled because it came down in a storm, or it you know it had some sort of anthracnosis and they had to cut it down or something. Before it was it in the way. Yeah, because so, a lot of your stuff, I guess you would call like reclaimed timber or urban timber or whatever, right? It's a, not... a lot of it is, yeah. Well, in Brazil, they have created something called the Cineflor database, and that's exactly what they're aiming to do. They have just begun to implement it in a couple of the the provinces. Are they called provinces? I don't know. Counties? States? I think it's states. Whatever. Um, and they're hoping to implement it you know, across Brazil. Uh, I think the ETA is by the end of next year. It's obviously going to take a while. But the idea is, is they've started to geotag all these trees, which they have to do anyway for lumber concessions. Um, Brazil is is actually pretty good about this. If you want to have a concession in the Brazilian forest, you have to have a, a sustainability plan for 40 years, actually drawn up and approved by the Brazilian Forestry Service, IBAMA is what it's called. I don't remember what that acronym stands for. It's probably Portuguese, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, but so, so, you know, the, and that concession plan says you can fell this tree and it has to be certain 
uh, near certain other seeding trees so that, you know, you cut that one tree down, the three other trees that were in its mm-hmm. shade will then grow up to replace it. Um, lots and lots and lots of detail of exactly how many logs, how many trees you can fell over such a, a square mile or hectare or however they do that down in, in Brazil. Um, so they've got the data literally down to this tree, this tree, this tree. Well, if they just start geotagging them like GPS and stuff, and then they can tie them into the database and as they're milled at the sawmill, then that geotag information is applied to every single board, which we can actually do that in lumber yard. I work with this vision tally system we have every time a, a load of lumber comes in, we scan it and we actually are assigning a skew to every single stick in that pack. And that skew relates to size, thickness, width. It also tells us that there's weighing and approximately what the grade would be based upon the the, the sounding that they push through the board, the sonar, essentially. Um, it's the same process where as it, the log is being sawn into boards, they're essentially tagging every single plank that comes out with that origin. So then that goes into this database and essentially every single plank now has an origin all the way back to the stump. Um, the upshot to this is any board that is in that database is considered legal. It's legal timber. Any board that is not in that database, you in trouble. <laughs> That's illegal. So um, it, it's it's interesting. There's a whole bunch of issues that are going to come with this because you know it's all about like you're relying upon data integrity. And if some sawmill, you know, slipped here or there and doesn't get their stuff in, technically that sawmill will get shut down. Um, which, yes, that's good. But at the same time, these people like go out of business because they're living paycheck to paycheck. And suddenly you've got this lumber that like doesn't have any source and you're just asking for illegal smuggling and stuff to come out of that. People got to eat. So it'd be, it'd be curious. I think in, in, a, in a perfect world and once it's all implemented, I think it will be awesome because we're going to have full line of sight from board. And this includes like you and me, like Joe Schmo Woodworker. You could literally track that board back to a little spot in the forest. Pull up Google Earth and go, look, 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 Mateo, this is where your bed came from, you know, which could be kind of cool, you know, but I think we're a long way from that. Okay. Hey, speaking of kind of cool, something that's not kind of cool, I got to get in my car and go look for this dog. I just went on my bike and couldn't find her immediately around the house. So I got to go cast my net a little wider, continue with the show, do the best you can. I'm just going to let everything keep rolling. And if you guys finish and I'm not back, then just let it go and uh, wish me luck. (laughs) Sounds good. Luck. Good luck. Wow. Wow, that sucks. The day just got pretty crappy. Just looking around for my dog. I I let him out. Follow the smell. (laughs) This is pretty much (laughs) works. All right. Come home, Millie. Come home. That's really really cool with the lumber database thing. How you think it's going to be totally accessible to anybody so you can call like all the way downstream that anyone can just go look it up? Probably not. Not for a while anyway. Um, But at the same time, uh, like if you are, well, a lot of this information is public record. Like, I mean, shipping manifests and things like that, you can generally access through um, industry connections and stuff like that. So it'll be curious to see where it goes. I think initially, no, it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be a a tool that the uh, Brazilian government uses and then they can put you know, reference numbers and things on it. And if necessary, if you're have an inquiry about legality or anything like that, they can, you know, send you a printout or a PDF or something like that. I don't, 
like I said, we're a long way from there. <laughs> what this comes down to, I've been trying to look for something positive to say in the Lumber News segment. <laughs> and this is kind of cool. It's, it's interesting to see this. We've certainly had the technology for a while. But I think the thing that holds it back is just it's such a massive undertaking to try to do this. And I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like the Wild West down there. You know, you've got these sawmills that have concessions and on paper, everything looks great. I mean, the concession plan is fantastic, but you could have, I mean, we're talking the jungle here. I mean, you could have some dude and a couple of his friends like go in the back door and just start cutting stuff down. Cause that's how this stuff is fell. They literally set up camp in the jungle, you know, and start, you know, cutting things down. Now, if you have a concession plan, if you're a legit, um, uh, uh, forestry, uh, Sawmill. That's the word I was looking for. Sawmiller. <laughs> if you're a legit sawmiller, um, you know, you're following this concession plan. But again, you know, some of these concessions can be so huge that if that, you know, guy just shows up in the back corner, the only way they literally ever get caught is by like seeing them from the air. But most of these guys are smart enough not to like clear out a huge canopy so they're visible <laughs> from, from the air. It has happened, believe me. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't know. You could say fortunately or unfortunately when that does happen, they shut down the entire concession. So you've got a guy who's playing by the rules here, you know, who's doing what he's supposed to do. And he's got this army of silviculturists who are really doing a good job on the sustainability front that just essentially got put out of business because I don't care how successful of a, of a sawmiller you are. Um, they literally are paycheck to paycheck down there. I mean, they've got to pay their crews. And, you know, when the government shuts you down, there's also T's and C's that say you can't lay your people off. Like, you know, we don't want to basically what it comes down to is the government thing. We don't be responsible for loss of jobs, you know, so it's up to you to continue to pay these folks, which, you know, legit corporation, you'd think they would do that anyway. Right. You know, if you got shut down due to regulation, I don't know. Maybe I'm being I am being totally naive at this point. You know, American <laughs> corporations are probably like, see ya, get out of here. But bye. Uh, they are essentially regulated to keep paying their employees, even though they can't do anything. So that guy guy's sitting around like sharpening blades over and over and over again on the sawmill, you know, <laughs> oiling the sawmill a little bit. But you can't cut any trees. You can't cut any down. You can't mill anything in the lumber. So I don't know. I think um, there are a lot of issues that could go wrong with this but i don't know i think it's exciting to finally see it happen we're seeing we're seeing this already existing with certain um really large um concession plans in other countries but it's Mm -hmm. a private thing you know there's a humongous company that well ikea actually does this um they have their own forest they have their own plantations and they're actually able to like say okay go cut this tree down and the way they tell the guy with the chainsaw to go find that tree is it's geotagged and literally it's like he takes out his gps and walks out of the forest you know beep 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 down there it is you know so it's already there in certain places but it's all been private sector type stuff so this is the first like all-encompassing um scenario that we've seen but yeah it's good news for the lumber news segment yay that's cool. I'm waiting for the day that you can go to the website, type in your little code, and it'll give you a little map with little pins on it. Here's where the tree was. Here's the sawmill. That would that be really of- cool. When you think about like like the whole reclaimed lumber thing and how like telling the story and you get the picture of the barn that it came from, mm-hmm. to actually be able to say, you know, well, hey, here's this table that I built for you, and it came from here. You know? Yeah. The tree if you get like the, uh, the salad view, you can see the, the canopy. The picture was the right age. Yeah, 
Because the tree was still there when the picture was taken. Hey, you could see all the homeless monkeys that used to live in that tree. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is kind of like, you know, that first trip to the slaughterhouse. And this is, this oh, is going well, well. never eat meat again. That <laughs> 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 just took a turn. That took a turn for the worst. This was such a productive conversation. <laughs> right. Well, again, this is where we would normally talk about voicemails where you guys so calm, so calmly, so nicely called in, but. You know, sorry. I was looking forward to hearing that one too. Yeah, apparently this is something about Lee Nielsen versus Lee Valley, which you know is always fun to pit those two great companies against one another. <laughs> so anyway, um, Matt, get an email. Jump into your email. All right, this one is from Joe over on Patreon. Clamping squares, useful shop item or a crutch. I built several plywood carcasses for shop furniture and seem to end up running. Circles around the bench trying to tweak clamps to get all four corners square. I tried Rockler's plastic clamping squares, but promptly returned them because they were 16th of an inch out of square right off the shelf. Are the machined aluminum ones worth the money for certain situations, or do I need to get better at quickly tweaking clamps before the glue dries? Uh, Jordan, I've used either dados, biscuits, or rabbits. So when I first started woodworking, I bought those plastic clamp things. And I think I used them once, and they've sat in a drawer ever since. I don't really find a good use for them. If your joinery is cut well, it should be self-squaring most of the time, especially with dados or biscuits or rabbits. Those are all pretty much, well, they're all going to be self-squaring. So the actual squaring of the carcass shouldn't be that extreme. Um, most of the time, I'll just clamp the um, the sides up to get the pressure to get the joints to close, and then I'll measure my diagonals. And kind of go from there. I put a clamp diagonally to, to tweak the case in either direction to take that, um, I guess, twist. No, I don't know. To get them into square mm-hmm. and then kind of go from there. But I just find like the couple times I use those um, clamping square things, just like one, well, four more, or how many things you use. That's two more clamps you got to put on each of those square things all over the case. It's a lot more uh, headache to kind of get through your glue up which glue ups aren't really all that of that pleasant of an experience most of the time anyway so <laughs> right just what we know, need is something to slow you down even something more. else to do while you're <clears> trying <throat> to get the glue on and get the pieces together before that glue sets <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i um i had a couple of those rockler ones like years ago I honestly don't know where they are. I didn't get rid of them. I don't remember. Maybe I did. I don't have any memory of getting rid of them. I just think they probably ended up like when I did my shop redesign kind of in a box somewhere. Uh, and at the time going, I had these. Huh. All right. Let's just stick them over here for now. But I actually never thought to, you know, hold the square up to them. That's kind of yeah, silly. I'm, now, in hindsight, you know, I'm gonna I bought go check square. Right <laughs> you just assume that it's square. But, you know, that's actually pretty dumb <laughs> just to assume that stuff <laughs> like that is square. Um, but, yeah, I just I think the times that I did use them, it was more to, like, balance something like it made that's it easier, good. like like if I was driving a nail or, you know, a pocket screw or something like that, it actually made it easier to hold it at a right angle. It wasn't so much a a glue up aid, although I'm pretty sure that's exactly how they're marketed um, as a glue up. aid. That's how I've seen them. Mostly. But you know, the, the, the point remains if I'm using it to hold it at a right angle and it's not a right angle, that that's a bit of an issue. I never even (laughs) silly me. I never thought to measure the uh, accuracy of it. Hmm. They make them in aluminum. 
Like uh, somebody makes is that like a woodpecker thing? They make you know? Yeah, probably. I'm sure someone makes them out of aluminum. Hmm. It's not much to those things. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's better to actually, especially if it's a carcass, like put the whole thing together and then adjust it for square, kind of you know, corner to corner if necessary or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I've it's never had a time like where my case was like so far out of square where it was like like mind-blowingly out of square (laughs) right (laughs) you know like if your stuff is cut well it should be pretty well self-squaring you know maybe it needs a little tweak like 16th i mean eighth would be kind of like pushing it but like you get more than an eighth like something else is wrong it's not like your joinery or something else is wrong at that point yeah it makes me wonder if that the intention is more for like the butt joint or you know the external fastener like a a nail or a screw if that's really where you know so you do the you glue the butt joint and clamp it to hold it together because the joint itself doesn't hold itself together Mm -hmm. um because if you're using biscuits or using dowels or you know rabbits certainly you know it should seat square but you know there's no there's no mechanical like a dovetail or you know a friction fit like a tenon or whatever so i suppose i could see a case for that ah case get it (laughs) That was bad. Sorry. Um, so I, I, yeah, you know, maybe there's the answer right there. Don't use stuff. Use joinery that doesn't slip. I don't know. <laughs> there's the elitist answer. <laughs> Different joinery, better joinery. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, good question. Kind of. <laughs> All right. This one comes from Rob and, um, Rob says, this is a question mainly for Shannon. So, I should throw it to Matt. I'm out. Um, <laughs> when, when making a small tea box with compartments, how would you approach the design and construction of the compartments? Dados? Can you describe how you would make them? Um, well, if he's talking, you know, if he really wants me to talk about the design, I would size it based on what I want to put in it. Like, if I'm making a tea box, I would design it so that I can fit, like, tea bags or whatever you know if i was using loose leaf tea that's a little bit more free form obviously but you know in most of the tea boxes you see they're designed they have like the tea bags that fit into the different holes and everything so then it becomes more of a design so that you don't end up with that like one random square that nothing fits in you know you want it to be evenly spaced this is for so. sugar cubes now <laughs> right <laughs> don't no nothing fits there so that becomes a situation where i probably am going to want to draw out that grid and like you know grab a divider or whatever and step out you know i want six across and two down or whatever and build out that grid and then draw out my box around that because that's the other thing you get in trouble doing drew out this square and you forget like stuff has thickness like the (laughs) the walls have thickness and you're like no (laughs) suddenly everything nothing fits anymore (laughs) you know you your shop your your uh, box side is a half inch thick and now suddenly everything is off by a full inch on either side so you know i would draw out that grid and then actually like draw out the thickness of the dividers as well because that's where you also get bitten it's not just the the perimeter that has actual three-dimensionality um it all has three dimensionality. Crazy, right? Because, yeah, this is actually where SketchUp gets me in trouble. Dropping sometimes. knowledge bombs. <laughs> yeah. <Woo-hoo. laughs> so yeah, draw out that full size grid, and then you know, kind of assemble your box from there. As far as the joinery, it can get a little bit um, 
sticky here uh, because if you're working with really thin dividers, like you know, imagine your divider is a quarter inch thick. There's a lot of box sides. They tend to be around a half inch, maybe a little light of that three eighths. And your dividers just from like a aesthetic, you know, a lot of times the divider is a little bit thinner than the box itself. Um, so imagine it's a quarter inch thick. And if you've got an intersection, you know, if you're just doing a dado in there, that might be, might be fine. What if you've got like a four way intersection, you know, and you've got dados at the exact same point on both sides of that quarter inch thick board that can get a little, little hairy, but what you have to think about there is not so much. Will I weaken this? Just say you do uh, a 16th inch dado. So it's a quarter inch. You take a 16th, 16th, that's an eighth. So you've got an eighth of an inch of material left in the middle of that, um, that board that may seem pretty flimsy, but now imagine it all glued up. You know, and when those two uh, perpendicular boards come together, and as long as the dado fits well and it's glued up and it's nice and tight, it's going to actually retain that strength, if not be stronger, because you've got a little bit of like cross bracing going on there. So um, that may be what he's thinking: like, how am I going to deal with this? Because there's just not enough space to do this. The other thing is, is a dado rabbit, any housed joint doesn't have to be super deep. You know, it's not like a tenon where a lot of times the strength of the tenon is based upon the, the actual glue surface there just having that shoulder um to to house that divider can be really really strong and let's be real is a t-box <laughs> so you know? i was gonna say there's tea. no there, yeah there's no full you know a full contact t you, know? <laughs> you don't have to wear pads to make tea you know i don't know maybe in new zealand you have to do like a haka and then never I don't know. Yeah. There's no there's no full contact in tea making. Come oh, on. Oh man. Sometimes you get crazy and you throw tea over the side of a ship in Boston Harbor and then that sparks a whole war and you know, Thanks but even crazy. then, you know, they were throwing it into the water a short distance over the side. So there really wasn't a lot of stress on the boxes themselves. And that was probably loose leaf tea. I don't think they had tea bags back then. Can you tell Mark's not here? And oh my gosh, <laughs> he's still talking about tea. <laughs> you know what's truly, truly sad? He's been doing this show for ten years, and Mark has made himself completely indispensable. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, we we finished our email. We're coming to the end here, and like, we have no way to shut this off. So Mark says, just let it run. <laughs> Is this like? Is this now like a telethon? Like we go yep. for twenty four hours straight and just keep going? Like it might, it might be if he's gone that long, right? Do we do we move into the weekend show and we just have one giant track that you know we risk actually not like processing in GarageBand and it craps out on us? I don't know. I don't know what to do here, folks. Matt's not helping. That's just I'm, a, I, I'm just I'm just waiting. I'm watching this play out. <laughs> Well, all we can say is we like it when you support us. You can sign up for recurring donations. You can use PayPal for that. You certainly can use Patreon. Uh, we've got lots of Patreon Patreon patrons. Patrons. And uh, what did what did we say? Like the the campaign's actually like doing quite well right now. So we appreciate. Thank it. you all. It does make it um, very. Uh, it makes these Monday afternoons a lot more worthwhile. Except when we've got to go 24 hours straight. <laughs> Maybe that should be a new milestone. No. <laughs> no. No. No, we're no. not going not gonna to do that. Anyway, well, you know, 
for the the purposes of saying this was a show, I suppose we can say, hey, thanks for coming by. And if you have comments, questions, and wonder, <laughs> I thought something else came up. <laughs> how the heck we do this when Mark's not here? This is what happens. It all falls apart, and you know. The worst part is, is now Mark's going to know that, and that's bad. That's really bad. Quick, do something good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, folks, we do uh, appreciate you uh, listening. And if you have questions, kick back anything for us, you can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call us at 623-242-5180, or you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Crazy, I know. Or... Go to the website, go to woodtalkshow.com, go to this episode, leave a comment at the bottom. The show may still be going on. <laughs> it may still be playing. So just be aware it might happen. Anyway, this this show is definitely made possible through the support of our generous people on Patreon and through PayPal through doing those recurring donations. So if you want to uh, be cool like everybody else and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and that's where you find all that stuff and such. That's a show. That's all there is to it. All right. See you on the weekend show. <laughs>